Plans are worthless, but planning is everything. General and President Dwight Eisenhower's wisdom still rings true today. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents STRAT, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk. A forum with a preparedness mindset. Mitigating risks, creating systems of prevention and recovery to deal with potential threats. And understanding the objectives of a business continuity plan. This is the podcast for leaders who are committed to being prepared. Now, here are your hosts, retired Marine Intelligence Officer and globally recognized risk expert, Hal Kempfer, and investment banking executive, Mark Mansfield. Well, Mark, we have a, a, a little bit different discussion today. And uh, dare I say, on October 7th, world changed quite a bit. You know, and I'm speaking of, of course, the horrific terrorist attacks in israel by hamas uh you know we we i just can't say enough about just how repulsive and 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 horrible what they did was but there are strategic business implications coming out of the war this war in israel and we do need to look at this it has changed things there is a larger threat and this, and I, and I have to tell you, I, you know, as you know, I've been on television talking about this quite a bit. This has changed the strategic environment. This is having global implications. And no more, no more is it, it I, mean, or I should say, the business community is probably being hit in ways they don't quite understand. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. Uh, well, yes, uh, sad topic to drive to, but uh, we can't avoid it. Um, there's two points. First, I want to underscore what you said in terms of let's focus and acknowledge the primary effects, which is the, you know, the human tragedy, the displaced, um, the civilian collateral being leveraged. It's, it's terrible. Um, but there are secondary effects that we do need to address so that the situation isn't compounded, which it likely will be globally. But we do have to talk about economic and regional considerations and the broader implications and what you can do to manage through this. But again, we acknowledge that the primary effects are, are what are just that the world is, you know, cry, is, is legitimately crying about. Um, go ahead, Al. I was going to mention one thing that, that was missed by many, but, but certainly not in some of the maritime, uh, and not the mar- commercial maritime world, is that certain key routes in the Mediterranean uh, the costs of shipping doubled after October 7th. And whereas most of us don't see that, and, and it didn't have a huge price shock worldwide, it did, I look at it as an indicator of what a broader regional conflict could do. I mean, as a price shock of doubling the price is pretty darn big. But then, of course, you saw the Monday right after the attack, you know, there was a 4% increase in the price of oil. And, and, and the fear is still very much that this thing could spiral in another direction and become a much larger conflict. Yeah, so, so the way, the, agreed. And so the way to make sense in a, in a tight uh, timeline window here for this podcast is we're actually gonna address three scenarios. Now they may not be perfect scenarios in terms of, of how they're framed, but it's, it's part of what we've been talking about through these podcasts that 
with shocks like this, you need to be strategically prepared or at least directionally correct to, to move either right, left, or, or, keep, or keep moving forward. So we'll double back to that. One quick point contextually is we are just, as we know, and we've talked about this in earlier podcasts, on the heels of, of a, industrial, a renewed industrial policies by, by governments, um, you know, which is, again, unique. We're talking about renewed uh, regionalism. You've heard us talk about Fortress North America. That has global economic implications, which we'll, we'll um, reconsider. And uh, basically now we are dealing with, uh, as you say, a whole new set of external drivers. And we're going to break those down um, after, after your, your next input. We're going to break those down into what we think are three likely scenarios that you should be considering. We don't know which ones they'll be for sure. But uh, again, we hope we can be directionally correct couple of things i want to say and this is really gets into strategy operational know-how tactics techniques procedures the attacks that hamas did particularly the intelligence preparation they had in terms of being able to conduct those attacks and and achieve those those horrific results if you want to use that term uh it was far beyond anything that we'd ever seen with hamas before and immediately you know, you look at Hamas and you say, okay, who's their number one backer? That's Iran, all right? And Iran, Al-Quds Force, you know, IRGC operatives are, are actually in Gaza. They've been doing stuff for years. Of course, you go to the north, you got Hezbollah, huge organization. Um, Shiite Muslim, not Sunni, which is kind of interesting. Shiite like Iran. Up north, they've been doing a lot of things as well. And then around the region, you got uh, a number of proxy terrorist organizations, the Houthi rebels. You got uh, in Iraq and Syria, you got proxies as well. And they have all been active with this. And of course, the fear was that this was something much bigger. You know, why would Hamas do something which is going to bring the full wrath of Israel down on them if there wasn't something bigger? So that's been in the kind of the backdrop, and everyone has speculated. How much did Russia know? Because, of course, this is for Russia's purposes. It draws away resources that might go to Ukraine. And then, of course, let's just say, hypothetically, China was looking at doing an invasion of Taiwan, uh, an unfriendly acquisition, shall we say, uh, that they would be looking at this and saying, great, let's get the U.S. tied up supporting a war in Europe and a major war in the Middle East, and then we do what we're going to do. So there's been a lot of speculation as to just is this one thing or is this something much bigger, which kind of goes to looking at the scenarios. Right. So so to your point, I mean, obviously, this is a classic. Well, let's just say we believe it's a divide and conquer strategy. You know, and, and, you know, again, with the China, Taiwan, which has been in our earlier podcast about, again, we all know about the chip concentration. But the point is, we've got the Gerald Ford aircraft carrier. You know, which should arguably be in the South China Sea as a, a symbolic deterrent, um, is now obviously um, out of that theater and and looking after the Middle East, uh, which we hope not to be that we're dragged back into. Well, now you got two aircraft right. carriers going into the med so, because so, of this. So our, our our assets are diluted from uh, you know key areas that that they should be you know focused on, or we'd like to see them focused on in a very preventative positioning, not aggressive at all, which has been our consistent theme here. Okay, so um, lots going on, and we as we make the point, 
people's heads may be swimming with all these references, but geopolitics drives markets. I mean, that is a theme that is critical, yet whether we like it or not, we've got to digest that. So this is a big geopolitical issue. So we got to live with it. Okay, how do we distill it down to make some common sense here? So let, let's go with the three scenarios. They may balloon into more next week, but for now we're looking at this. One, the conflict stays contained, okay? Uh, essentially Gaza and Israel, as, as ugly as that's going to be. But on a relative basis, this could be the best case. And, and this is what the U.S. assets are, are there for. That's what Biden was in, in this week over in Tel Aviv, you know, prompting. What happens? The VIX, and I, before we go further into this, I'm going to make one point, okay? We always emphasize forward-looking. The VIX is a volatility index. So many of you listening to this may know it. Some of you may not. But the volatility index is is a forward-looking measurement of risk aversion. So if you if you see that, that's going to tell you where stocks may be heading or markets may be heading based on the market risk perceived by participants. Okay, so when you hear VIX, that that that's a, a leading indicator, and just we use that as a proxy of risk right now. Okay, back to conflict number one. It stays contained, relative basis, best case study. There's, 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 VIX would be no change. There'd be a minimal impact we expect in the GDP and the US GDP. And inflation will increase marginally, but probably stay where we are. And that we'll come back and talk about interest rates about that. But that, that's scenario number one. How do you want to comment on that? And then we can go uh, into I would like to two. say, I would like to say a couple things about that. You know, there's reason to believe that that may be. And, and I will say this, uh, if, if depending on the Iran, Iran's grand plan, if you will, whatever they knew and when they knew it, and of course you may recall, the Wall Street Journal had an article that came out literally the week after that said there was this big meeting in Beirut that, that Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad were all there at the meeting and Iran greenlit this, this operation. And the U.S. has said, well, we don't have clear evidence on that yet. What, what seems to be happening now is we are seeing Hezbollah acting up, but as Israel would say, they're within a threshold. They haven't crossed a line where it's well beyond, you know, where they can't turn back, all right? And that's kind of interesting to see our, our Hezbollah, the major proxy on that north border, which could turn this into a two-front war very quickly, has not crossed, was, well, has not been crossing that line. They seem to be a little constrained that could change that could change very quickly but i was going to mention that that we did see houthi rebels firing cruise missiles drones that were taken down and we saw attacks on u.s bases so there seems to be something going on on a much broader level which indicates our you know much further iranian involvement and and yet we haven't seen that larger war right happen so maybe this first scenario has a lot of validity i could i wouldn't have said that right after october 7th now you know with the with the passage of time there may be something to this keeping this largely contained yeah uh that, that's an excellent segue to scenario number two one point about scenario one is that there, there would be a a modest increase in, in oil i mean oil mm -hmm. is central to this i didn't want to um uh, not acknowledge that but it wouldn't be, you know, the, the the serious spike that we're all concerned about. Okay, let's go to two, and this is what you were touching on. Hal's been talking about various, you know, players out there that are a proxy, you know, representing um, the mothership of Iran. So, you know, it, 
what, essentially what you're talking about is Hezbollah and Lebanon, Syria, the other the other players. So this goes to a proxy war or a multi-front war. So an expansion of scenario one. This is not. Um, it would lead to greater instability, obviously. And think about back to the days of the Arab Spring. So what would happen with this? We, you know, our our research estimates oil would increase in the neighborhood of possibly $10 a barrel. Now, these are estimates, you know, pulled from other research groups. The VIX would pop at least eight points. Remember, eight to 10. Remember in scenario, and that's significant. Remember in scenario one, it was flat. So, and you're seeing that in the markets now. They're, they're, they're seem to be dealing with this well. On a multi-front proxy war, Hezbollah gets in, um, other players still... We'll come to the next scenario about Iran, but at this point, Iran is still maybe directing traffic, but not actively engaged. Um, the GDP, now, we start to take a hit here. That, that drops 3%, all right? And that's about $300 billion in lost value. So now, from a business case, and we always ask, you know, again, geopolitics are driving business and markets. Uh, th- that's becoming significant. And again, we're talking about the secondary knock-on effects. We are always aware of the primary issues of the human you know, human element in this. And I'm, I'm sorry we're talking economics to a point when in this tragedy and we're, we're trying to be um, sensitive to it. Um, last point, inflation will stay sustained, which means the ongoing pressure to keep rates high. I've got one more scenario, but I'd like you to comment on this one. Well, what I would like to say is this. This this scenario is what everybody's looking at. They're looking at Hezbollah. And, of course, if Hezbollah weighs in and you have southern Lebanon, actually you kind of have Lebanon uh, stepping in. As you may have seen, this spawned massive protests in Beirut. They were literally setting parts of the U.S. Embassy compound on fire. Uh, there's been protests in other capital cities as well. So we are seeing this expansion. Of course, it also brings in Syria. I would think behind the scenes, there's been some discussion by the United States and Israel explaining, look, this could start with a siege in Gaza, and this could finish with the siege of Damascus. You know, figure out what you're going to do here, making it very clear to Assad, you know, that he is at a decision point, shall we say, in terms of what he has to do. Now, this could broaden out. This could go this direction, and it will have implications but this one, even so, is still somewhat contained. It's a two-front war. I will tell you, if you think things are bad now, you know, Hamas shot, what, four to 5,000 missiles? Hezbollah has 110 to 150,000 missiles. They could overwhelm the Iron Dome, and you could literally see uh, CNN or Fox or whatever. You could see shots of, of Tel Aviv and parts of Jerusalem that look, like the city's on fire if they were to fire that many missiles and i'm not saying they're firing them all at once i'm just saying they could put a, a a rate of missiles that would simply overwhelm the iron dome system sure uh, absolutely um so, so you can see how we're uh, in terms for our listeners of trying to make sense of this you can see the escalation in terms of the scenarios one is you know on a relative basis best case contained two not as good, worst basis of, of, again, the proxy. And three is like the, the full-on, um, you know, Middle East uh, devolvement. Um, and this is where Iran would, in, Iran would enter, um, to your point. And there'd be a broader Arab world uh, war. So what happens here? Well, we've, we've been giving you the markers of, um, you know, oil 
you know, it's anybody's guess, but they're saying that would be an addition, an, an increase of 65 to 75 dollars a barrel you can imagine what that's going to do the vix is going to pop to over 16 to 20 points remember scenario one the vix was flat so again our vix is our measure of risk aversion so we're you know the world's you know really panicking gbt gdp drops we don't know how much one to five percent uh, say closer to two we'll just middle the channel and inflation pops okay no hope of lowering interest rates so our soft landing okay in that scenario Given our vulnerabilities, we're going to put life back into the inflation zombie. Everything we talked about in terms of the soft landing post-COVID and the commencement and hope of decreasing um, interest rates and the cost of capital through mid-24, mid that gets put on hold. Um, Hal, I'm going to give this back to you. You might want to mention the uh, some of the choke points in the shipping. We've talked about um, uh the, the maritime risks and uh you know w- w- with this scenario as well why don't you talk about oil straight, and the gap straight to the Hor- uh, you know the straight of hormuz you know basically it's a choke point it's the persian gulf iran runs all up and down that's, that's why it's called the persian gulf is because iran has one side of it they have the capability of literally choking off uh shipping going through there which will have a huge shock price shock with oil and natural gas It'll have other shocks in the system as well because literally Iran sits right across from the UAE, Dubai, major business center, you know, sits across from Qatar. I was just in Qatar, as you know, not that long ago. Uh, then you go to the Bab el Mendeb, which is a strait that is at the southern entrance to the Red Sea, which talks about the Persian Gulf. Already we have seen Houthi rebels firing, uh, using drones and firing cruise missiles out of there. That's their major proxy. They control that area, and they could cause all kinds of headaches and risk uh, of any shipping going through the Persian Gulf, and that would be extremely difficult to train to go and try to root out the Houthi rebels from that Yemeni coast. And and so you're looking at a situation where, you know, the Suez Canal, 12% of global trade goes through the Suez Canal. You're looking at the Persian Gulf and all the oil, that has enormous implications uh, across the world. And by the way, all of this would be happening in the context of an election year in the U.S. Right. That's, that's, that, that, that's, that, that's a point. I Thank you for making that point. So, you know, to, just to quantify and underscore what you said about the Strait of Hormuz, 20% of the world's daily oil supply goes through there. Just mm-hmm. imagine the impact. Okay, now tying it to your point about the election in a very unique environment right now. You know, one of the leading, most sensitivity, uh, sensitive drivers is, is the price of fuel. I mean, that is a real election issue. So we're about out of time here. I just want to make one point. I'm going to give it back to you. This is a planning and a multipolar polar environment. We, we really, it's, we don't know if these scenarios are, 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 the, are the, 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 what you're going to see or if there's going to be more or where they're going, but we can help in terms of providing directional input, which you must consider. Anyway, back to you, Hal. This is something that if you're, if you're a sizable company, you got a, a global footprint or a global supply chain. If you're not looking at this, if you're not planning for this, you're gonna get taken by surprise. You're gonna take a huge hit. Um, and, and this is also something, as you mentioned, where we can step in and help. Very few people keep that type of expertise on staff because you don't need it that often. You know, fortunately, these things don't happen all the time. Anyway, This is a great discussion, Mark. I think we've covered a lot of terrain today, if you will, covered a lot of territory. 
and we live in very uncertain times. So we're going to have more discussions about this in the future. All right. Thank you, Hal. Strat, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk with Hal Kemper and Mark Mansfield. Podcast weekly from the Mutual Broadcasting System.